You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Null and Void Sports Podcast. The world of sport is wonderful, isn't it? Every week it gives us so much material to talk about. And this week's absolutely no exception. And add to that two brilliant guests. One from the world of winter sports and the other from the summer games. Now, you can't get much better than that, can you? I think we're spoiling you, dear listener. My name's Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Where to start? Well, I'll tell you where we start. Cricket. Because we touched on it last time. We've not got Stuart Broad and James Anderton in our squad, West Indies. What's going on? Uh... Honestly, don't know, Tony. Um, and reading the reports, Stuart Broad is definitely not Merlin the Happy Pig when it comes to <laughs> being not. left out of this trip. He's uh, he's raging. So uh, I don't know whether it was a decision that was made by the outgoing um, coach, Chris Silverwood, whether it was a decision made by Sir Andrew Strauss and Paul Collingwood, the incoming uh, regime or whether that's it's more logical, Andy. That's more logical with the new people, surely. But yeah, you said earlier. But but knowing the ECB, logical <laughs> isn't always something that comes into play. So they don't, uh, they don't deal with that, do they? No, no. So I honestly, don't know. I, I don't know why we would think that we could go to the West Indies with you know with a team that is currently low on confidence, shorn of confidence after a four nil drubbing in the ashes down in Australia to uh, now go to the West Indies without our two leading wicket takers. So unless they've got a master plan that none of us know about, I'm not sure what the, uh, what the thinking behind that is. Hmm. Desperation perhaps. Anyway, football, Newcastle, what's going on? I mean, you know, three in a row now, Tony, three <laughs> league wins in a row. It's a, it's easy. This premier league luck. <laughs> <laughs> four, four above, four points above now. Incredible. So that, and, and they're looking more like a team. And they beat Aston Villa. We're recording today on a Sunday. We beat, beat Aston Villa today. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I still think the Villa goal, the equaliser that was scratched off, it was a toenail between the guy being onside and offside. I think in the, uh, in the days before VAR, that would have been given. Um, I think a one-all draw against Villa would have still been a creditable result. Yeah. Uh, they're going well. But yeah, to get that 1-0 win, pulling a few points further away from Norwich. Uh, downside was at Leeds won and Everton won. So we're still right down in the relegation dogfight, but a little bit of daylight between Newcastle and the drop now. So hopefully that uh, that continues. Yeah. Everton beat Leeds. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Everton beat Leeds, which is... Uh... You know, that was interesting in itself as to whether Everton, definitely not out of it. With It's interesting, the media like Frank Lampard, and they always say if if Everton were to win, they'd say Frank Lampard's Everton. When they lose, they just say Everton. <laughs> He's a big favourite <laughs> of the media. So I guess... After, it's a bit like the days uh, of tennis. You know, if he won, it was Brit Andy Murray. Yeah. If he lost, it was Scott Andy Scott, Murray. <laughs> Andy Murray. Quite right, too, of course. But anyway, uh, United, another one-all draw, playing in the first half, not turning up for the second. Let's just call it transitional, shall we? 
They're because... certainly uh, good for the, the folk playing the pools. I mean, the number of score draws they get, then United are uh, uh, a good... I don't know if anyone still does the uh, the pools anymore, but if they do, then score draws in United are always a good way of uh, good way of picking up the points there. Yeah, and from my point of view, a good way of watching it is to watch the first half and go and dig the garden in the second, I'll tell you. <laughs> anyway, City and Liverpool are running away with it. Chelsea are world club champions and I say that as a point of information but personally that's never really got to me that even when United have been in that tournament if you're a Chelsea supporter yeah we're world club champion but so what because I actually saw and it's a it's an opportunity to make money I think of one of our guests was saying that the other week yeah uh, an opportunity it was Mark wasn't it who's a Chelsea supporter mm -hmm. that's just a money-making machine I actually saw a playoff for fifth place in that tournament. Really? I mean, come on. Come on. So I mean, I, I know we've got another one lined up this week, but to use a well-worn phrase in the null and void universe, I think get a grip there. Yeah, get a grip. What's that all about? Well, what's all about with rugby six nations? Yeah, um, three games this weekend. Uh, the first one, Wales against Scotland. Wales off the back of a heavy defeat against Ireland last week and Scotland obviously with their tails up having beaten England um I think Scotland came crashing back down to earth uh 2017 defeat to Wales but actually the scoreline I think in the end slightly flattered Scotland it was exciting in terms of the closeness of the game but it wasn't one of the sort of flowing exciting games most exciting games of rugby I've ever watched I uh I, I pushed the last 5Ks of my uh, 25K river walk yesterday to uh, get back in time for kickoff and was regretting that as I was sat there watching it. The second game, however, Ireland against, oh, France against Ireland at the Stade de France. Yeah. What a game. I mean, yeah. the first half was crazy. There was 17 points scored in the first 10 minutes. It was absolutely fantastic. And then, France, I think, thought they would look like they were home and hosed at 22-7 up with, you know, half an hour left. And then Ireland got right back into it and pulled it back to 27-24 uh, before finally falling 30 points to 24. So cracking game of rugby there. And then mm -hmm. today, England out in Rome. Um, I think that's always a trip that the England fans really enjoy, a chance to get out to the uh, the Eternal City. But uh Bit of a curious egg performance. Uh, the first half, England looked very, very good. Tried to force the play a bit, but were really looking to play at a tempo, you know, with Marcus Smith, Alex Dombrandt, Harry Randall, really calling the shots. Second half, I think Italy actually had more possession, more territory and looked the better, but England's defence held well and kept Italy out to a nil. So five points in the bag. Um, you know, defence nilled them on the scoreboard. Pack up, move on. Back to Twickenham in two weeks for Wales. So I think England work to do, but certainly better this week than last week. OK. Now, clearly, you and I could talk uh, at great length about the Winter Games. We're not going to. Why aren't we? Because we've got the expert, Conrad Bartelski, as our first guest in a few moments. So he'll, get, he'll give us the detail. Why don't we just then talk about NFL briefly, because unusually we are recording the first part of this podcast on a Sunday, so we don't know the result yet between 
the Rams and Bengals. Yeah, so it's going to be a pod of two halves, I think, to uh, use a, a hackneyed phrase in a yeah. sporting parlance because we're recording the first part on Sunday, the second part on Monday. So by the second half of the podcast, it will be the hindsight podcast and we will know the result. So Bengals against the Rams tonight, Super Bowl 56. I think the Bengals are definitely the underdogs. At the start of the season, you'd have got 125 to 1 with the bookmakers, if you've been betting a couple of shekels from the uh, the, the, the Grundy pile um, <laughs> on that at the start of the season of them making the Super Bowl, 125 to 1. They'd only won four games across the previous two seasons. So definitely um, a, a club that have come from nowhere and in terms of getting to the Super Bowl. So um, I fancy the Bengals to do it. They're, they're a, a third quarter team. They're the top team in terms of points scored in the quarter three across the season and a league record of 73 points. I just fancy them to do it. The Bengals coach, Zach Taylor, was the apprentice to the Rams coach, Sean McVay, uh, when he was there as his assistant. Um, ironically, Taylor is actually at 38, two years older than McVay. So if the Rams do win, McVay will become the youngest ever Super Bowl winning coach. So there's loads of different mm. dimensions to this. I think it's going to be an exciting game. It's in Los Angeles, so home advantage to the Rams. Having gone 54 Super Bowls, never having had a host make the final, they've now had two years running with the Buccaneers last year Weird. and the Rams this year. So, yeah, bizarrely. Um, yeah, the bookmakers' favourites are the Rams. I've gone for the Bengals, and I reckon the Bengals will win it in the final quarter. That's probably a kiss of death on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, contacts. Mike Smith, back in contact. I think he was a week behind, but he was saying, really enjoyed last week's episode. Bruce is the level of coach the sport needs. And definitely someone is great to listen to. Really enjoyed the hindsight uh, uh, view of the week up and coming sports with you too, he said. Looking forward to Andy's view on the uh, Marla throw-in and Eddie Jones in general. A, a candidate, he says, Eddie Jones, for get a grip. Or is that just a giddy Scott, he says, enjoying a rare moment in the sun? Andy? <laughs> well, you know, the uh, the Scots love it when they beat us, don't they? They, uh, they sit there watching Braveheart for the week before the... Uh, <laughs> England-Scotland game, then get the faces painted in woad and uh, run around shouting, freedom! Uh, <laughs> they, they, they love to defeat us when they can. So, uh, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts, Mike. Um, I'm sure that maybe didn't enjoy it as much yesterday watching the Scots uh, fall to the Welsh. I know I certainly didn't, as uh, we've made clear on this podcast. I'll support anyone against Wales. So, uh, yeah, definitely a case of... Uh, that. But the Marla line out, I think the less said about that, the better. It was a, a bit shambolic there. I think uh, I, I don't think he quite knew what he was doing. Poor old Luke Cowan Dickey must have been sat on the touchline thinking, what on earth is Marla doing trying to throw that in? Yeah, less said about the better, the better as you say. Uh, okay, uh, get a grip. I've got this this week. Now, by now, you'll all have seen and heard, I guess. Uh, about yet another Premier League footballer not covering himself in glory. And that's putting it mildly. Yes, Kurt Zuma 
a West Ham player, central defender, Frenchman, was seen in a video placed by his brother on social media, laughing as they violently mistreated their own cat in front of their own children. What sort of moron would do that? And equally, what sort of moron would do that, video it, and think it's funny to put it on social media? To me, regardless of the fact that he has apologised to the club and they've fined him two weeks' wages, which to a lot of these guys is just a round of drinks, he's continued to play in their team. In fact, played in today's game for the second consecutive game since this happened. Why not have the guts, West Ham, to suspend him for the two weeks at least and, and ahead of any legal action? That should be the case, shouldn't it? Yet the manager, David Moyes, says his job is to pick the best team. So Kurt Zuma plays. Poor decision, David Moyes. Director Karen Brady, not much better, has said, well, he has said sorry. What more does he have to do? Interestingly, the RSPCA have said that David Moyes is incorrect in saying that they are going to have special classes for Gert Zuma to attend to understand how to treat animals properly. They said nothing of the sort and nothing will happen until legal action has progressed. And I think that's exactly the right stance from the RSPCA. Just so every time you think that premiership footballers can't make themselves look more stupid or more idiotic, someone else comes up and says, just watch this. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, having actually seen the video, uh, I watched it because I knew we would be commenting on it. I wish I hadn't, but uh, just absolutely ludicrous. I think credit has to go to Dagenham and Redbridge, where Zuma's brother who filmed the alleged abuse and is the one who supposedly put it up on social media um, and is heard laughing in the background of the video. Dagenham and Redbridge have suspended him and said until any criminal uh, prosecutions or RSPCA investigations have been completed, he won't be playing for them in the National League. So you've got to give credit to Dagenham and Redbridge for their stance. But why can't then a club of yeah, the size so, of West Ham, take the same approach. Yeah, so Karen, Kurt, David, in this country, cruelty to animals is not well thought of. You've handled this very badly. So the message from Null and Void, and I would imagine quite a lot of other people, is get a grip. You are pathetic. Andy? Yeah, I think... Um, Without wishing to take away from the tone of that, let's uh, change gear and uh, bring the tempo back up uh, to something much more positive and bring in our first guest. So, as you mentioned, the Winter Olympics have been taking place. Comrade Bartelski was on a couple of weeks ago to give us his thoughts and a preview of uh, what it was going to be like. I think um, certainly his prediction of the landscape was right. I've seen it described today as a dystopian landscape in one of the newspapers, the uh, setting. So uh, um, fresh off the plane, himself having been out in Italy skiing and photographing, 
um, which is now his uh, his career, combining two of his great passions in his work. So uh, we're really pleased to welcome Conrad back to the UK, back onto UK time and back onto the show. So hi, Conrad, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. And nice to be home again. Good man. Was it Good a cup man. of tea as the first, uh, first thing you did when you got back? That's normally yeah, no, what Brits no. do. Nice double espresso. Keep me, keep me awake. We had a very early start this morning. Now, we really appreciate you being with us, given your time scale. But it was it, to us, it was really great last time when you gave us a preview of things. But now we've had a we're fair way into it. It would be really interesting to get your take on where we're up to. What are your general impressions of what you have seen, you've read about, and so on while you've been away? Well, you know, I think last time I did say these would be the forgettable games, and, and certainly the, um, they, they're very so unpredictable in many, many ways. Um, I did say that they get sort of two inches of snowfall every winter. Um, it's, you know, so why are they holding it in a desert and it would be more suited for camel racing? It would be for Winter <laughs> Olympic Games. And, of course, last night they've had more snow <laughs> That they've had for ages there. So they had a lot of trouble. A number of the events had to be postponed or um, the men's giant slam race was held today under difficult conditions. Um, some people saying not good conditions, but then I always understood that winter sports was an outdoor sports and you, you take it as long as it's safe, which they yeah. were. And as long as it's fair and even for everybody, which it was, um, then that's that you, you take the, the mountains as they are. That's what you're doing. You're racing in the mountains. Um, so, yeah, they actually had a really wintry race. Talking to some of the people, um, in fact, the place I was staying with last um, last few days in Austria, the just as I was leaving, the wife said her husband was out in Beijing. I said, oh, what's he doing there? And, and he's actually a serviceman for head skis for Lara Gook, who actually won the gold medal in the Super G. Oh, right. so I've got a little bit of inside information was you know what's been going out and it's been a challenge for the alpine skiers getting the skis right um not only is it the man-made snow there although that's just been covered in real snow just to complicate things but the dust from the desert has been getting into the snow as it's made um to the extent that they've been remaking the snow and remaking the snow so there's been lots of challenges beyond what we normally expect to see and you'll never get that reported or seen on television what what but, effect does that have on the the way the skiers are skiing the snow if there's the dust from the, the desert getting into it comrade well i mean it's just if you just think it you know you're, you're on snowflakes you're you're when a ski runs over the snow it actually generates a film of water so they, this this is there is in physics, the pressure, the temperature, there's actually a very minute, thin film of water that's going through. Um, so how the ski runs over the various snowflakes depends on the angles of the snowflakes and the granularity of it all and this, the temperatures of it, the humidity. I mean, it's a very complex science and it's also a very um, interesting art form because although it's a science there's still there's, there's a big difference between a good serviceman and an average serviceman because one is an artist and one just plays by the rules and one's got decades of experience um and a sense and a feeling so it's 
it does make a difference because the speed of your skis will also contribute to this, you know, your, your time down at the bottom mm. as well. The tuning of the skis and how they grip on the ice is also the uh, very important. Um, Michaela Schifrin um, reportedly had 40 pair, pairs of skis out with her in Beijing trying to get the right skis. And she's, she's been the shock of the game. She's somebody who never, she always finishes her competitions and she fell in both the slalom and the giant slalom, mm. both of which she was expected to at least medal, if not win. Um, but I, it's very difficult watching the events when you have white strips of snow and brown on the side. Um, there's no emotion. There's no, you know, there's, there's really no um, audiences on the side. And I think the most interesting thing is seeing all the various broadcasters around the world. They're all using these 3D uh, green screen um, studios to, you know, and who, who's, who's got the best designer in the team to make it look like they're out in the middle of China. Same to every, we're all, yeah. everything's a bit of a lie, really. <laughs> and do, do you think, because there, there was some discussion uh, about the bobsleigh uh, teams, the equipment, whilst the, I didn't, none of the athletes as such I heard talking about, but a number of the journalists have been saying, why are we experimenting at this point? in the actual games themselves, because is that what's impeding the speed of, of the of the athletes? Experimenting in what? I mean, in terms of the equipment they're using, that was in relation to bobsleigh, I think. I think it was the skeleton bob. They were, yeah, uh, they, they were saying about it's a, a new sled being used for the first time in the games. Oh, well, yeah. The, no, the that's, GB team. Yeah, because... Um, if you have something that's new and breaking ground, then then you 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 you're not going to show your hand beforehand. And I'm aware of some other stuff, new innovations that will be coming out with the Paralympian winter uh, the, the athletes coming out um, after the games. There, um, well, that that that's you know that. Of course, you're always trying to find that extra little advantage, and if that's a way of doing it, then you take that risk, and you win some, you lose some. If you don't, if you don't uh, push the boundaries out, then you're never going to beat the opposition. You've always got to be one step ahead, if wherever possible. So now I, you know, the journalists will, you know, I won't even go down there. I don't want to upset anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that is. I mean, the Olympics. We've seen some great performances, um, some great stories. Um, my standout from the British point of view is Kirsty Muir, seventeen-year-old girl who yeah. came fifth the Big Air, mm. and um, I mean that's a huge, huge performance. It's made up for the disappointment of Charlotte Banks, who got knocked out in the quarterfinals in the. Um, border cross when she is the number one in the world but it's a very winter sports is very different to to a lot of other sports is that there are so many variables involved and i was talking to you earlier about how the skis run over the snow and how what charlotte's run and it looked like her ski her snowboard was not perhaps running as well as it might and there might have been some technical aspect that impeded on her performance because I didn't see her really make any mistakes um, that she couldn't have caught up with. And, and she just didn't seem to be accelerating perhaps in the way she should. So that, that is the nature of um, winter sports. 
I think especially with that event, Conrad, you know, from what I've seen of it, not from an expert perspective, but as a spectator, it's almost the cruel dichotomy of it. What makes it so exciting for the uh, spectators, like we talked about previously, is the crashes and the helter-skelter nature of the of the race. And at the same time, one small slip, and that means that someone's Olympics and their medal hopes are gone. I mean, I, I think she did well to come back in the mixed relay with, was it uh, Hugh Nightingale? Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she, she broke very well there, and I'm sure she had been frustrated. I think um, she had to, she was always playing catch-up because um, she's number one in her, in the world, in, in, in but Hugh isn't, and so she, I think she had a lot, she was really working hard. She was three and a half seconds behind in one of the races I saw, and then caught up. Oh, you know, if she if the race had been another quarter of a mile longer, then she would have been been able to catch up that time. But no, it's and with, with still a lot of time to go. But the dice hasn't been rolling for Team GB so far. Um, and Andrew Andrew Musgrave, who I have a huge regard for, he came forty sixth in one of his events, seventeenth in the in the first one, which was fine, but. 46, I think, was in the last event. Um, he himself said he was shocked at, at how, how it's gone. And sometimes you prepare in a way that you think is right for what you're doing. And, and, and But at the moment, um, Team GB generally is not performing to what I was hoping for so far, but there's still a lot to come. Dave Riding still to come. We've got the curlers coming through. You know, in the mixed curling, we end up getting fourth, which is the most frustrating place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Guest skied very well, but just in the second round, just towards the bottom, she had one mistake, which dropped her out of the top 15, which would have been a very good result for her. Alex Tilly actually came back from not such a first run, first fast run and giant some, but, you know, she's also just come back from breaking a bone in her leg. So... That, to me, was a really fighting performance. But all the other, you know, so so we've got a fingers crossed that we're going to get a few medals before the end of this week coming up. Because pressure builds on the team if you don't have some sort of success at the beginning. And everybody's, you start trying too hard in sport, you slow yourself down. Um, if If we'd had a couple of medals in the bank by now, people would start to relax a bit more and there's more chance of them getting more medals. It's a bit of a, Cat 64, whatever you call it. Yeah. yeah. Is there a concern, do you think, that, you know, looking at the, the some of the results that the, I know the way the funding goes and where the money goes is sometimes towards events where we've meddled. And if, if there aren't the medals this time, does that mean that the funding won't be there for the next, or not as much funding will be there for the next four years, which to me seems counterintuitive because surely you'd want to put more money in to increase the the hopes and chances of meddling in four years' time, yeah, the, you know, more that there's always a limited pot, you know, and and UK sport do an amazing job and try and set criteria which are which are which are um, achievable. Um, I there would be a concern that funding in some areas might be reduced, and in some areas that might be justified. In some areas, it um, it might not, but, you know, for example, Kirsty Muir, 17 years old, fifth in the world, I don't think 
it might not be a medal, but that's sufficient to mm-hmm. warrant um, in, continued investment on that side. Mm-hmm. So there will be some winners and losers, but there always are. You know, none of them are going down a coal mine and, 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 and digging for coal for, you know, 12 hours a day. And so, yes, life is tough. It's not that bad. <laughs> now, just slightly left field, but what's your view on the Russians and the doping situation? Have you comments on that? Yeah, I do. I've, I've been reading up on that. And um, they've worked very hard to, to break a culture. Um, and you will succeed in almost all areas. Um, I think the, the tragedy with this one, it's an underage girl who's been mm. accused of it. And um, they are now investigating everybody associated, associated with her. Um, yeah. It's a culture that's, that's been inbred in the communist system since the late 50s, early 60s. They were looking at any means of trying to show how their political system was better than the Western. And, um, you know, they got caught badly in Sochi. um, And that's why Russia itself has been chucked out from the Olympics, why they're competing under our, you know, the flag of ROC. Um, But, you know, you, you, you can't get rid of all the bad worms straight away. So, Personally, I think there's obviously something amiss there. Um, it can be in, in naivety or ignorance. Um, can't judge people too harshly until we got the facts, because look at Alan Baxter. He was disqualified for using a VIX inhaler in America, which has got a different constituent in Europe. And the levamphetamine in there triggered off the amphetamine um doping test but levamphetamine is inert so okay there's a the, the, the molecules are very similar but it's not a stimulant so he's actually lost a medal for using something was not a stimulant officially mm-hmm. just because it triggered their official system um normally the olympics and the olympic honor you know the the, the olympic oath always comes out in the benefit of the olympian yes but the it's not always the case in Olympic bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomatically put, I think, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've, I've got friends out there on the inside and, and, and they're just in, you know, telling me about how, how it's all going down with um, all the COVID tests and you're going to have breakfast and you've had that up your nose and you've got this and that and <laughs> people come around in these masks and screens and everything and... Um, we're, we're apps to, to track terrorists, you know, and protect us against terrorism. It's been inverted the other way around. If you go out from a certain place and you haven't done your COVID test, then you might set an alarm off. I mean, it's it's science fiction tracking. Um, and I think the inside joke is that the Chinese now have got so much DNA of all these athletes, they're going to be able to clone them all in the future. <laughs> So, so watch what comes out of the laboratory in Wuhan in the next five years. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, looking at, you know, when I look at the results and, and the competitions in there, the, you know, every ice speed skating or the short track speed skating, you know, the, you know, you, you, 
the downhill racing, the skiing, the ice hockey, playing games with ice, hard ice, you know, metal blades. It's 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 not that you just trip over or something. It's you know you could you trip over and might end up in hospital with ten stitches in your leg or whatever. So yeah, you know, got to respect the people going on. They are performing. There's some great performances there. Mm-hmm. The um, I would say generally on the skiing side, the athletes are winning the medals. I, there's no real horror surprises, which does sometimes happen in the Olympics. It's been fairly to the form book, um, which is always, I think, healthy. Um, and, you know, there's blue skies and young kids training hard, smiling, working hard and performing some tricks and some athletic achievement way beyond a lot of people's comprehensions that it's it's impressive stuff i just wish there was a big audience there to, to give it the atmosphere that it deserves which will be happening i was checking out some of the facilities the other day in cortina um where the women will be racing the downhill and that's one of the most beautiful downhill courses for the on the women's on the women's circuit men will be racing in bormio which is the best modern course that's ever been built so yeah, be great in four years' time. Yeah, well, thank you very much for your input tonight. But can I give you a kind of left-field question from my wife, Mrs. Grundy, who said, oh, Conrad, back on. She said, ask him this. And I thought, where's this going to come? You never know. <laughs> dutiful husband, I will ask you a question. She said, if you were starting again, given moving yes. forward, would you be a downhill skier or would you be on a snowboard somewhere? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's an interesting one. Well, after I retired, I remember going to, to, when snowboarding just coming out, I remember the the cool dudes with all long hair and um, they, 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 they were all saying, oh, you know, in the 21st century, everyone will be snowboarding. <laughs> yeah. I think you'll find that statistically, depending countries vary because Japan, all the youngsters want to snowboard. Um, but if, in fact, snowboarding, I would say, is not expanding at the rate that people expected. It might even be declining in some sort of areas. Um, with the advent of twin-tip skis and wide skis and kids being able to do the jumps and tricks on the skis as much as the snowboarding. But no, uh, I, I, downhill is, is um, an adrenaline rush to me and an experience. And, and it's the purity of man against mountain mm. and all woman against mountain. Um, Cause it's, downhill racing was when it, the first, the Inferno race in 1928, it climbed to the top of the mountain and it was men and women racing down to the bottom. So it's always been a, sport that has been hugely inclusive even though it's in 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 england it's regarded as being you know the privilege and when i when i was doing it it was very much the privileged um families who could participate in the sport but if when you're in europe it's it's the opposite it's the you know in many ways it's the farmers and the working class who are participating in the sport so it, it depends where you are in in the world it's a sport, I, as I said, I, I've just come back from skiing and I'm already missing it. So I would be, but I'd be, you can tell a wife, two is always better than one. <laughs> For sure. Because she can <laughs> interpret that any way she wants. <laughs> Listen, it's brilliant of you to spare your time. I think we should let you get some sleep 
and, and leave you, but thank you at the same time for being with us on Null and Void. Really enjoyed your input and your knowledge. Extremely good. And obviously, if you're happy to, we'd love to come back to you and talk to you again. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Conrad. Andy? Thanks, Conrad. Thank yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, thanks ever so much for uh, uh, fueling up on the caffeine to do a, a late call with us. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let you get some uh, shut eye and rest before you uh, head off again on your travels tomorrow. No, thank you. And I just, you know, I, I, I do still think we'll be able to get um, three or four medals. There's still, well, maybe even five if things go really well. It's just the dice need to start rolling Team GB's way. So uh, everybody keep your fingers and toes crossed and over the next week. It's certainly over, overdue a little bit of the rub of the green, aren't they? So, yeah, exactly. let's hope this week it goes their way. Exactly. Thanks, Conrad. See you later, mate. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. What a great guest to have to give us that information. And as ever with Conrad, uh, brilliant information and one week to go. So thanks to him. So, Tony, that was great to hear from Conrad. Um, we are, as we said earlier on in the show, recording this in a slightly different way this week with over two days. So we said this would be the Hindsight podcast and we can bring back a couple of updates, sporting updates. The first one being the Super Bowl. Last night, we were talking about the fact that it was the Rams against the Bengals, that I had my five Callahan pounds on the Bengals, and you said, well, that's the kiss of death for the Bengals. <laughs> Lo and behold, it was the kiss of death for the Bengals. <laughs> sorry to be right about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry to all the Bengals fans for uh, backing them. So uh, um, a good game. Very entertaining. I think that the the first quarter and the final quarter was where all the drama was. But uh, the Rams were losing up until a minute and 24 seconds left on the clock when a great play up the field, a uh, number of first downs, and then they got the touchdown pass in to win the game. So um, a close game. Bengals at the then uh, took the last couple of, really the last few plays trying to get that. Um, score that would have won it for them but couldn't break through I think overall the Rams were good value for it the Bengals attack the Rams attack very similar obviously the coaches have worked together historically and whether that counted against them because the number of times that the Rams seem to get past the blockers and be able to sack the Bengals quarterback struck me as quite a lot I mean I'm not by any means an expert but as of uh, an, an avid uneducated fan so but to me that struck me as the big difference that the mm. when the Rams needed plays they were able to make those first downs when the Bengals needed plays their blockers weren't able to stop the players getting through and the quarterback was getting nailed so uh enjoyable game uh, I have no idea what was going on with the halftime entertainment with <laughs> um Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr Dre and Eminem and the stage only seemed to face one half of the crowd. So uh, yeah. if, if you paid for tickets on the other side, not quite sure what you were seeing or what you were getting. I've got to admit, I went and made some extra strong coffee at that point to keep me up till it was going till about half two this morning. So uh, I did sit up and watch it all. Um, and oh, you did? You were, you were possibly going to do the 40-minute thing this morning. I wondered about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I sat up and watched it. And uh, yeah, uh, very much it was a, a slog today as a result of that. So here well, we are on the coffee again. I was going to say, Grace, if you could stay awake during the rest of this podcast. <laughs> now, 
my update uh, from yesterday, and I clearly did have a go at Kurt Zuma and West Ham, and I certainly don't take that back because he was selected to play in his second consecutive game by uh, his manager, David uh, David Moy. And, and I just think that um, really the fact that he was picked in the team and during the warm-up decided and talked to the medical guys and told him uh, he was feeling sick. David Moyes said it was gastric. Uh, I, I imagine he does feel fairly sick because every time he kicks the ball, even before the game, he's getting booed. So to a certain extent, tough. Kurt. You should have thought about that beforehand. And I, uh, I know people like that that have pulled out of games in the warm-up for various reasons, you know, not necessarily for getting booed by the crowd for what he was getting booed for. But yeah, normally it's something like a strained eyebrow or something is the uh, yeah. the reason that keeps him out of the game. But yeah, I, I think whether he chose to do that or whether he was actually genuinely feeling unwell, obviously we can only go by what's been said. But uh, I think definitely from... For his perspective, I can understand why he wouldn't want to be playing or why that was affecting him in terms of physically. But, uh, yeah, hard to find any sympathy. None whatsoever. And can I just say, Camilla Valieva, the decision today that she can continue to compete, mainly because she's only 15 and the damage it would do to her to be taken out, I just think says so much about the whole Russian situation and drugs. You know, I think it's very sad. And for the young girl, yes, it must be very, very complicated to take on board. She's now got to try and compete, supposedly, as the favourite to get the gold medal. Immense pressure on her as well. Yeah. Diabolical decision. I Yeah, and that decision just feels completely wrong for me. I mean, if someone's under that suspicion and... I know Conrad talked about it yesterday and it's very difficult for the individual athlete and you don't know whether it's been something that's been taken deliberately, inadvertently, been told by her advisors that it's something which it wasn't. You don't know, but if someone's failed that test, I don't feel they should be competing Mm. until the investigations have been completed. I mean, it, it smacks right back of... You know, in the 80s, you know, athletes, you know, doping. And now we're getting people being re-awarded medals that should have been awarded. They should have been on the podium, getting the glory, getting the sponsorship, getting the opportunities 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, I I just don't want that to be happening. You know, in 20 years time, we sat there saying, oh, and here's someone being awarded the medal for 2022, Beijing Winter (laughs) Games that originally went to uh, Valieva and now, you know, it's being re-awarded. So I think that's the wrong decision. Um, obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of the the detail of the, the story and how that came about. That will come out in time. But no, for me, just in terms of for her mental well-being and well-being and also for the well-being of the sport and as someone who is an absolute advocate for clean sport, I just think that's completely and utterly the wrong decision. Yeah, let's move on, shall we? Definitely, yeah. And we've got a second guest lined up. So we're all sat here talking winter games and sat here in the dark and depths of cold and wet February. 
all sat there wishing that the summer would hurry up and arrive. Well, our next guest is sat there watching the countdown for the summer arriving much too quickly with 163 days to go until the start of the Commonwealth Games. We've got a previous guest back on, Ben Crabb, who's involved in the managing team and the organising team for the Birmingham Games in the summer. So, Ben, how are you doing? How's the uh, countdown going? It's yeah. The, yeah, the countdown is definitely going. Yeah, as you say, 163 days uh, as of 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, and that means we've got now officially 116 more working days and 23 weeks. So um, there's that. There's a massive clock by Long Jeans, one of the, the big sponsors for the games in, in Centenary Square in Birmingham outside the library. And I will be honest, every morning I now do this as I'm walking past because I don't want to see the time. And last year... Uh, it was a novelty. It was great, you know, 500, 400, 300 days, the year to go, etc. Uh, now it just fills me thinking that's creeping up really, really quickly. It's exciting, but blimey, is the time moving quick. I was going to say, does that clock seem to be moving faster since Christmas? Yeah, very much so. I mean, um, those people who's worked in the in the games or before, they all say when you when you get past that Christmas. Uh, and you hit the new year and you're, you're in that run-up to the games, everything goes up a gear. And um, for all the staff involved, doesn't matter who they are and what job they do, that, that, that gear, certainly you can feel it. You can see that momentum and you can feel that momentum and the urgency um, suddenly come on board and it, and it just increases. And it's, it's, it's a nice pressure. And the nice thing is, is, everyone's working towards that same project, that same goal. We have an immovable, you know, deadline, the 28th of July. Can't move it. It's not going to change. It's, it's got to hit that day. So mm. everyone is now just focused on that one end point, that one day where everything then starts and everything will kick into place. So it's, it's, it seems stressful and people might say, oh, you know, it looks a stressful environment. But it's, it's, it is a very joyous and happiest environment as well to work with. And it's such a, such a nice team. And I, I don't call it a team. Um, my team, I never have called a team. It's, it is a family. Um, we, we are a family. We work together. We pull together. We support one another. And that's, that's it across the whole of, whole of the, uh, the organising committee, to be honest, and all staff. And it's, um, it's not a, for, for those people who, who work in different offices and environments, uh, games environments and mega events like this, um, how people pull together and that family feeling is is very difficult sometimes to explain to people, but it's a lovely place to be. Mm. And what about the number of people? Because you talked about last time, the time scale as we were, you know, then looking at it, about when big bulks, and I seem to remember you saying a large bulk of people would join in January. What are the sort of numbers involved now and, and how is that all formulating yeah so, so when i when i last spoke to you we had a roughly i think it's about 450 450 500 in the in the in the in the team um we've just exceeded over 800 and we're now on the track for the next few weeks of going up to um there'll be over 16,000 uh not 16,000 1,600 full-time staff and then the interviews happen before Christmas. 
for volunteers and there'll be 14,500 volunteers who'll soon start to get notified by the workforce team who'll be coming on board as volunteers to work at the Games as well. So we, we've not just got our you know, 1,600 core staff, we've got this 14,500 volunteers coming on. And then we can't forget about all the other people who help make it happen, who's, um, who's our contractors and subcontractors. And there's roughly... Um, roughly around 35,000 uh, contractors as well involved. So when you look at the numbers of staff to put on an event, but what you've got to think about is that the event is officially the biggest multi-sport event in the UK since the 2012 Olympics. Um, it's the biggest Commonwealth um, programme of sports. It's got Paralympic sports running at the same time as normal, you know, conventional sports. We've got new sports come in like the cricket, the 3x3 basketball, etc. Um, and you look at the diversity of the games and the number of games and number of events, it is certainly a jam-packed programme. Mm. And to be mm. honest, um, when we hit that 28th July, it's going to be a fantastic two weeks of sport. You know, it's, it's going to be such a showcase, not just for the West Midlands and Birmingham, but for the UK. We've, we've you know, we've gone through covid um, we've had all the lockdown. It's been quite depressing, and it's really nice to see. Even in Birmingham, talking to other people, I, I went to the, I went to my local pub in the village the other day at home, and I walked, and they said, "Oh, it's not long until the Commonwealth Games," and you can you can see that excitement coming because there, there's something. You know, it's going to be a summer of sport, like, like like Andy and yourself were saying, Tony. You know, there's it, it's gearing up towards it, and. In the city of Birmingham, you can see that excitement starting to creep in as well. And they're excited to see all these sports coming in, the athletes coming in and everything else which goes with it. So it's going to be, it's going to be a fantastic two weeks of sport, to be honest. I think, um, I think it's going to be really, really exciting to watch, especially the countries coming, the athletes as well. And there's some really interesting young talent coming in. Uh, when, you, when you look at different countries and the trials, etc. going on, Look at some of that young talent coming in. They're going to be some of the future world stars, not just on Commonwealth uh, times, but when we hit the Olympics in, in uh, 2024 in Paris, there's going to be some proper stars there, I think. And I think we're going to see some a real step change in that, uh, in that culture of athletes. Sounds exciting stuff, Ben. I mean, what are some of the big ticket things on your pad that you're sort of featuring the flames to deliver over the next... Uh, 163 days uh, and uh, 43 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm quite in a, in a lucky position to be, as, be honest, Andy, because um, I'm one of the one of the few people who will actually be involved at virtually every single venue and every single uh, sport in, in in essence because of, because of the role which I do overseeing uh, the construction side of of the games. So I, I have the opportunity to go and visit all the venues and see if I want to while I'm there, if I have time, see each of the sports. But I think, I think ones which will be really exciting to watch and which sort of standing out at the moment. One, always the swimming and the diving. Um, you know, the, the pool which has gone in at Sandwell, it's an, it's an Olympic-sized pool. It's now got uh, the, the, the tallest diving boards in Europe. Um, it's a fantastic venue. It's, you know, built from scratch specifically for the games. It's, I think the diving and the swimming, you know, that's, that's a sure start for something to go and see, which is going to be good. Um, ath um, athletics, I mean, the, the athletics 
it's it, I, I like I like field and track events. I, I like the running. I'm going to be biased towards one of my colleagues, um, a, a colleague of mine who works for me, a guy called Tor. Um, hopefully, he's in the 400 meters. Um, he's got his trial very soon. He's, he's passed some other ones, so fingers crossed and touching lots of wood, he makes the England team. If if he doesn't, I think there'll be a lot of questions asked. He's uh, he's really focused. Um, the other ones which I think will be exciting. Um, 3x3 basketball it's not called three cross three but it's um it's, it is 3x3 basketball um it's a, it's a smaller version of a basketball court it's got one one basket uh a net and it's three on three in effect it's really really fast very very exciting and i think that would be really well worth watching especially the paralympic uh 3x3 basketball if you haven't seen any of it get some of it on the TV. You can watch it. It happens all, all over the place. Really well worth watching. Very quick, very fast. And to be honest, the, 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 the guys and girls in the, in the wheelchairs in, on the Paralympics, they don't hold back. They really don't hold back. Some of the tackles are phenomenal. And that is a, such, a, such a treat to watch. It really is good. And, and the athletes, uh, if you get a chance to, to meet any athletes and talk to them, they're lovely people and very passionate about their sport. Um, the other one, which um, there, there's two, I think. Um, both of them, I know um, you, you love definitely, Andy. Um, the cricket, um, the, the cricket matches. I think uh, you know T20 matches in being introduced into into the games is is something which is going to be really good. You know, nice quick overs, quick matches, going to be really fast, and I think that's going to be fantastic to watch. And the other one which I'm quite excited is the rugby. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, seeing, seeing the different uh, countries compete against each other, maybe not Scotland and Wales, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think uh, that will be something really good to watch. But there's, there's, there's other ones there. I think my, my personal one, I'm really interested to see how the cycling time trials play out. Um, that, that course, which has been put in around, uh, uh, around Warwick, looks phenomenal course which uh, the guys have planned there uh, but you can see all the maps online if you go on you can see where that where that happened it's well worth looking and the the marathon uh the marathon uh will showcase birmingham where it's going uh past edgebaston down to the, the chocolate factory down to bourneville and cadbury's you get to see that and you get to see the center of birmingham as well so i think those those uh parts of the athletics uh and the sports are going to be really good but, as, you know, you, you can't beat the gymnastics. That's sold. From what I gather, it's sold out. I know the, the kids were asking, is there any more tickets, Dad? Don't think there is. Um, and also, um, two, two friends who, who are involved in both these sports, the weightlifting, um, that looks really good. And I think the boxing as well. Um, not the, the, they, they both look really, really good. But to be honest, being completely biased, um, there's not one of the sports which is going on which I wouldn't go turn up and have a look at. Um, one which I'm, I will admit I am interested to go and seeing is the BMX biking out at, at Canuck Chase. Um, it's been a, a new purpose-built BMX track being put in. Um, it's fast. It's got some brilliant drops and jumps and corners. And I think that's going to be something special to watch that, I think. So mm -hmm. in all honesty... Um, Although being involved, 
I think there's going to be a, a lot of uh, going back on the red button on the BBC <laughs> and clicking and re-watching it onto iPlayer because <laughs> I don't think there's any part of it really which um, I wouldn't go and watch. I know, you know, if, if you know if people listening, there are tickets. There are still tickets which you can buy. If you if you go on onto tickets on the Commonwealth Games, there are sessions where tickets can be bought, and you can pick up some bargains for some of the some of the the, the sessions. To be honest, so um, it, it, it is nearly full. Um, the one point seven million tickets have nearly all sold, um, but there are some tickets still available. So um, uh, to do do have a look because um, some of those events, especially with, as I say, some of that new talent coming in, some of those new sports. Um, I think that's where it's going to be going, to be honest. And I think they're the ones really to keep an eye and have a watch on. A bit anyway. like the uh, the skateboarding at the Olympics, you know, how good was that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. New sport. And, uh, new people coming into sports, new Olympians, and we'll have new Commonwealth Games yeah. competitors here. It's interesting you mentioned about the tickets, Ben, because, you know, I know the first couple of batches were all released in, in ballots. I was... Yep. Lucky enough. I know when we were talking last time, I was still sat here with everything crossed. I was lucky enough to get all six sessions across the three days for the for the rugby sevens. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I shall be there certainly cheering myself horse and uh, and adding to the uh, to the um, food and beverage sales at the uh, at the stadium so uh definitely helping there but in terms of now is it is it just sort of almost first come first serve people go on and book now because or is it still ballots and things like that no uh now now the ballots are gone so the, the ballots were there purely for people to 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 get the tickets they wanted for those events on that you know first come lucky lucky dip uh um ballot but now the, the tickets which are on there are, if you want those tickets, you want to buy them, you can buy those tickets for those sessions. And obviously, the ones which are really popular at the ballot, uh, at the ballot have gone, so you can't go to those. Yeah. But there are sessions where you can buy tickets. Uh, so, you know, feel free. And, that, you know, where you've been lucky uh, getting all six, uh, at some point, you probably you've noticed on your, on your email, you've got about your tickets. Um, I think it's April or May time. Um, you'll get a notification now that you, there's a selling platform for people who may have got a ticket and thought, oh, I bought too many tickets. I can't do all of this. I actually want to sell one of my tickets or something. And you have that platform and it'd be sold at, at face value, which you bought it. So there'd be no discrepancy in the prices. Uh, and, you know, there's lots of security parts around that, why that's being done like that as well. Mm. But um, at least it gives people the opportunity to go and, and see something uh, and some sport, you know, whether they want to go and see, you know, anything from athletics to badminton to bowls. Bowls is popular. Didn't realise how popular bowls was. Um, blimey, that that I must. I think I'm going to head down to the bowls one day because that looks um, that looks amazing. To be honest, I, there's no. I don't think there's any tickets left for bowls. Uh, I think that's completely sold out. And I guess there are some events, Ben. I mean, t- Tony's probably more the generation of bowls than either of us. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll get, well, I'll get that, that little dig in. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people in their 40s who play bowls. It's I've, I didn't realise this, but there's a phenomenal amount of people who are in that 40 to 50 age bracket who are the biggest fans of lawn bowls than anyone else. So um, back that off. was quite Back off, Back off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess Ben there are also some events that people if they're 
in the region or up towards that way can go and watch where they wouldn't need tickets, like out on the part of the marathon course or the the time trial cycling or the road cycling courses, some of the triathlon courses as well. So that if people are wanting to go and get a, a bit of a flavour of the games, but being unable to get tickets, maybe in some of the events they wanted, yes, they can go and get tickets in other events or go along for where these events cover such a big area that you know the crowd will be able to join in and cheer from the uh from the roadside which i know certainly having you i know you've been in and run marathons yourself and tony and i we've all done that and we all know how great the when the atmosphere of the crowd is really buzzing so i can imagine you know that would be even better at the commonwealth games where the people of birmingham the people of the surrounding area people of the uk are going to get out and support the uh support the competitors yeah, yeah, definitely. And you're right that there, there, there's all those road sports, the time trials, um, the um, the parts of the triathlon course, the marathon course, those ones, yeah, expect, you know, spectators to go and watch. It's non-ticketed. You can turn up. All I will turn around and say is just keep an eye on transport for West Midlands and just keep an eye on where you can park and how you get there and how you get out. Obviously, you know, there's so much sport going on. You need, to, you need to just plan it, and it is planning it, just so you know you can get there and you can get back, and you know where train stations are, bus stations are, and where you can park, etc. And that's, that's, that's important for all those venues, to be honest, because uh, you don't want to get there and suddenly you can't get parked. So, so planning is uh, planning's quite important. Have a look and plan those, those days out, just so you know you're going to have a good day, uh, and that's the most important thing. Mm. Ben, ben I, I, I noted down a couple of figures, and I don't know how up-to-date they are, but I... I wrote down 37 venues, yeah, uh, uh, 5,000 athletes plus, 20 yeah. sports, 72 countries, and the motto, yeah. games for everyone, yeah? Definitely, pretty uh, much, yeah. yeah. Is that, is that on, are we on track with those numbers? Uh, yeah, de- <laughs> definitely, yeah. So but by the time you look at the venues now, they're split up. There, there's about that many venues in there, to be honest. Um, uh which which will be holding sport and undertaking sport and yeah the number of athletes coming in we're looking we're looking around five thousand athletes coming in uh and then we'll obviously we've got games family on top of that uh and it will and it is you know it's a games for everyone that's what it is you know it's about who you are your age where you are um and I, I think that reflects so well at Birmingham and it's multiculturalism. Um I was talking to someone uh the other day well they were talking to us to be honest they gave us a talk and said in Birmingham alone, there's 187 different cultures in Birmingham City alone. Wow. Yeah. wow. It's the most diverse and culturally uh, multicultural city, uh, potentially in Europe, I think it is. Well, don't, don't quote me, I have to have a look on that one. But there's definitely 187 <coughs> different cultures in Birmingham City, and they're so welcoming. Uh, and that's, that's definitely come across. They are, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, they welcome you. And I think that that games for everyone, yeah, that that's definitely the strap line for for Birmingham because it doesn't matter who you are, your age, come and enjoy it. And I think that's also showing that program of sports it is open for everyone. So you know, and, and ultimately, you know, as we get older, we're interested in sport, but the ones that are most important are 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 the, are the children and the youngsters. Um, I know my two youngest can't wait to get and see the gymnastics. And they can't wait to go and see some athletics. 
and for them to be you know seven and nine and so excited to go and see some athletics Brilliant. I think that, that's where that's where they're captivated and it's nice talking to other people who've been to olympics or when they went to you know glasgow in in, in 20, uh, 2014 or I went to Manchester in 2002 etc and you start talking to them what got you into sport I saw that on the TV or saw such and such and like like Tor uh, who who I work with his inspiration was um, uh, Colin Jackson and a few weeks yeah. ago um, Colin was about in the office and he stood there and had a chat with Tor and he said you were my you were my inspiration to go into athletics Fantastic. So, you know, full circle around. And I, I think that's what it is, isn't it? Get, get the children inspired in sport. And that's, that's where the future is, isn't it? Well, are you were hearing last summer some of the stories of, you know, people competing for GB in Tokyo who had been yeah. inspired by London 2012 and they were maybe one of the, the boys or girls carrying the baskets for the athletes in the stadium yeah. with the athletes kit and now they're they're racing in yeah. the in, in, if you like in the, in the footsteps in the shadow of those and emerging out as their own stars so it'll be great if there are people who are as you say watching taking part um you know as as volunteers as support or people who are there spectating if if that lights that fire in them, you know that you know passing the uh, the legacy on, and what a great sort of legacy that would be for the Birmingham Games. That not only have people had a great time, seen what a great city Birmingham is, but also we get that next generation coming through. That would be yeah, that would be amazing. I think that's why, isn't it? We need to, we've got we've got a future proof our sport. We've got a future proof that we're going to have sport in the future and we're going to have these events. And I think that that's the important bit, isn't it? Give them that fantastic opportunity, let people around the world be inspired as well. And then hopefully they come into it and we still have that continuation of sport. That's, I think that's really important. Yeah. Now, Ben, uh, all the big questions come from Null and Void. How's Perry the Bull mascot? <laughs> Perry is Perry. You've probably seen him in pictures, or, you know, all across social media. What, what, a, what, a, what a mascot, to be honest. You know, uh, the young lass who created Perry, she's got to be so proud of what she created and what that symbolises. And everyone's excited to see Perry. It's great when he turns up in the office, great when he turns up at briefings and meetings <laughs> or just wanders through the office or pops into <laughs> your meeting if you're having one. Um, but the kids, you know, the, the kids love him and there's no one who doesn't really like him. He's been out around Birmingham and everyone's welcomed him and wants pictures with him. Uh, so, yeah, what what mascot? And I think um, like other mascots to other games, um, keep an eye on him. Let's see what he's going to do. <laughs> Are there going to be Perry Burgers on sale at the food and beverage stand? <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to comment on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next. We're delighted that you've been able to join us again, Ben. And, and it's, it's so exciting hearing you being excited by all the work you've not only done, but is before you now. And we really do, uh, uh, we really feel, feel great that you've been able to join us again at such a busy time for you and uh, the very best of luck over this next 163 days and if if we can at some point come back to you we'd love to do that if you can spare us a time because we've enjoyed I, it tonight. I, 
gonna, I was going to say let's uh, let, let's let's have another one before the games, and we'll we'll do one post games as well yeah. if that works for you guys. Good, so yeah, we definitely we'll keep you to that, Ben, and we appreciate your time tonight. Go and get some sleep. We'll hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, Ben, thanks ever so much. And as Tony said, good luck over the next 163 days and yeah. 26 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, guys. And keep, keep in touch anyway. I, I love listening <clears throat> to the podcast and seeing what comes up. So, yeah, I'll keep listening. Keep in touch and we'll we'll speak again very soon. Cheers, pal. See you Fantastic. later. Take care, Bye, buddy. Yeah. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Now, isn't that lovely again? Ben coming back, Ben Crab. I mean, what an insight into a massive event. I mean, you just, all right, I'm reading off the figures there, 72 countries. That's easy to read, but what a logistical uh, uh, headache it may be, but not the way Ben describes it. He's excited by the whole thing. And I mean, the numbers that Ben shared with us, I, I didn't have any idea of the scale. No. <clears throat> I mean, I know when we spoke with him last, they were going to be virtually doubling the number of uh, permanent staff, uh, you know, from 400 to 800. Now they're going, they're doubling that again up to 1600 with another 14 and a half thousand volunteers, volunteers. and 35,000 contractors and subcontractors. I mean, that's huge <laughs> yeah i mean no, i i just absolutely you know invigorated by listening to ben about it uh, and yeah to have that kind of feel that family feel he's obviously working very hard and and we appreciate his time and as he just said he'll even talk to us before the event and after you can't do better than that good man ben Thank really you looking very- forward to that yeah cheers okay well that brings us to the end of this episode and and yeah we've managed to do winter games and summer games all in one go with two brilliant guests appreciated conrad and clearly ben tonight so as usual at this point if there are comments you've got the contact details at the end of this podcast when you choose to listen a time and a place that suits you the most important thing is that you do and we're getting, the numbers are ratcheting up massively and we appreciate your input keep talking to us see you next week take care folks thanks a lot and we'll speak to you soon cheerio null and void with tony grundy and andy callahan together they don't add up to much if you have a sports story you can contact the team on n and v at forthenow.co.uk